Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Hello and welcome to The Inner Life today for this Tuesday of the 8th week in Ordinary Time. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond and hope your Tuesday is off to a good start as you uh, are joining us here on The Inner Life, our show about spiritual direction here on Relevant Radio. And as we begin today, let me ask you this. What is the most famous piece of classical music ever written? Any ideas? Any guesses? Maybe something by Mozart? Maybe that 1812 Overture, or maybe it's Swan Lake by Tchaikovsky. How about the William Tell Overture by Rossini? There's the Blue Danube by Strauss, or the Four Seasons by Vivaldi. Maybe Johann Sebastian Bach's Minuet in G, or any piece out of his Well-Tempered Clavier. Any of those pieces, uh, if you haven't listened to them, if you're not familiar with them, I would very much encourage you to go listen to them later today or later this week or anything by Chopin. Frederick Chopin, my my very all-time favorite of any classical or romantic composer. But according to Classic FM, the piece of classical music that takes the very top spot for being the most famous or most popularly played song, it's a song by Mozart, Serenade Number no. 13 for Strings in G Major, and that name might sound a little forgettable, but I bet you'll recognize this. So here, give a listen. And those opening strings, you've probably heard that in multiple movies or in multiple different recordings. It's something that uh, as soon as I heard it, I said, oh, yeah, I do know that song. So you probably did the same thing. Number two, number two, most popular piece of classical music. Again, this is according to Classic FM, to their website. It's one that I learned to play as a young child, and if you took piano lessons for any length of time, then you may have played this too. Here it is. This is For Elise by Beethoven. Now, those opening notes right there, it might harken back to, again, piano lessons for you, or maybe listening to uh, Schroeder, who's playing there on the Peanuts Christmas special, right? Charlie Brown and the gang, and listening to some of that music that he would play as he loved Beethoven. Now, when I first started to learn this, I began learning it on my own. I didn't bring the music to my piano teacher. I worked on it by myself. My sister had learned this song, and she's older than I am. And so I said, oh, well, if she can do it, I can do it. And so I wanted to tackle it. I was eight years old, almost nine at the time. And after I'd worked on it for many months, learning that opening familiar theme that we just heard there, um, that first couple of minutes of the song, I thought I had it down fairly well. 
And so at my next lesson, once I was, I was pretty happy with where I was, I played it for my piano teacher, Mrs. Baker. And Mrs. Baker then, she said, stop playing it. And she said I could play it in the future, but I had taught myself that opening sequence, those nine notes that begin the song, going back and forth between an E and a D sharp, E, D sharp, and then goes into the rest of that theme there. I'd practiced that again and again with a little bit of a swing to it. The even spacing, the tempo that should be there in those notes, it wasn't there in the way that I played it. Another problem was that I wasn't hearing the swing of those notes as I played them. I had played it with that swing for so many months now that I couldn't hear how wrong it was. And Mrs. Baker, well, she'd been teaching piano lessons for so many years, long enough to know that it was really best to have me just step away from the song. I needed to forget what I had learned so that she wasn't fighting my bad habits, so that I would forget those bad habits. So I didn't touch for Elise for almost two years, and then when I finally started over with learning it, I'd had enough distance between playing it the wrong way that I could kind of start with fresh eyes or maybe fresh ears to how I would play it. And sometimes in our lives, we need to be able to take that step back from what we think we know. We need to get a little perspective. Today here on The Inner Life, I hope we can get that perspective because we're going to be talking about one of the virtues. And of course, when we talk about a virtue, we also talk about the vice, that sin, that is opposed to the virtue. And I don't know about you, but it can be common for me to think about how, as a Catholic, our faith tells me the things that I'm not supposed to do. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't cheat. Don't envy. Don't do that. And yes, we're not supposed to do those things, but, but it's also helpful to look at the why. Why does the Church tell us to avoid these things? Why? Well, because It's a wrong way of doing something instead of doing it the right way. And that's what a virtue is. It's doing something as a human in the way that we interact with God or with other people, doing things the right way, the proper way. So today, we could talk about the sin of temptation and lust, and we will have that in the course of the conversation, but that's looking at the wrong way for us to live out our human sexuality so how do we live the right way? Well, the, the way that we were designed, we need to have that perspective on what it means to live the virtue of chastity. And to have this conversation, to help us understand that virtue, to have that right way of looking at this aspect of how we interact with others, living that chastity out in our own lives. We're going to be talking with Father Carter Griffin. He's a priest in the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C., and a regular voice here on The Inner Life. Uh, Father Griffin, welcome back to The Inner Life. So glad to have you here today. Did you ever take piano lessons as a kid? I did, Josh. I'm not sure I got any further than you did, but I did take them. (laughs) It's good to be back, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, well, and so as I said here at the beginning of the show, I think it is normal for us to look at things like the Ten Commandments, uh, you know, the teachings, the rules of our faith, and see these as lists of those things that we shouldn't do. So to start us off, maybe, how can we retrain ourselves to look at these rules, these teachings, with that perspective of approaching behaviors by wanting to live how we were originally intended, originally created, seeing it, um, you know, those lists of don'ts as being a description of a warped or a twisted way of some behavior or, or action, but also then having that understanding of the proper way to engage in that behavior or that action. 
Yeah, I think it, I, I think you're right. I think it's both ways. It's it, it's first of all looking at, um, you know, we don't look at any part of our life as just a series of rules. I mean, you don't say like, oh, you're gonna watch football again. That's just a bunch of rules. You know, I mean, no right. one thinks this way about any other part of our lives. And then when we're talking about the most important thing is how to live our human life, we say that there's some rules, and we say, well, the Catholic Church is just about a bunch of rules. And it's like, well, obviously, you know, the football is not about a bunch of rules. It's about playing a great game. Um, and that's exactly what the virtues are. So the, on the one hand, it's sort of saying rules are part of life. and They're part of anything that's worth doing. But it's always for something much bigger than the rules. It's, it's for playing a great game. You know, it's for, it's for living a great life. It's for, living, it's, it's for living really in the most fulfilled way that we're intended to live it, with this deep sense of joy, uh, ordered in a, you know, in, a, in, a, in a rational way, working towards our, our, our end, even humanly speaking. Uh, and certainly when it comes to our life of faith, too, working towards our supernatural end, towards heaven. Um, so it's really about living a great human life, r- regardless of what kind of hand we've been dealt with by providence, you know, whether it's an easy life or hard life in different ways. And, but all of us can live a life of virtue. And that means that we're living uh, a kind of a complete and, and, and fully alive way of living and one that's ordered towards our goal. Yeah. So I think in that sense, it's a very positive way to look at them. I, I you know, and I, I love that kind of sports analogy there, too, because you know, the highlight reels that we see for those great plays of a football game, it's never about, look at how well, you know, that linebacker followed the rules there. No, it's about that amazing <laughs> tackle or it's the, the amazing right. pass, the amazing run, you know, that the, that the, the fullback had down the, the field. Um, so if we want to look at kind of the highlight reel of somebody who lives a virtuous life, it should have that same sort of aspect. It shouldn't be, well, boy, they were a rule follower. No, it was that they lived their life to the fullest. Yeah, I think a helpful analogy that I heard once, I've heard many times, I guess, but it's, you know, that the the virtues, or let's say the the things you can't do, the things you shouldn't do are like the are like the are like the rails, you know, of a of a of a of a mountain road, right? They 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 keep you from falling off, but they don't make you go forward, and they don't get you to your destination, right? They're they're kind of things that you know, obviously we're not going to go off this on, on on this side of that side, but the virtues are the things that enable us to kind of propel ourselves forward, uh, and we actually accelerate through life. I think we have a a very sort of physicalist understanding of human life is something that sort of goes into slow decay over time and then eventually just a kind of you're snuffed out. But in fact, the, the man or woman of virtue is growing constantly and is sort of alive. And that doesn't mean that things are easy. There can be a lot of suffering and illness, especially at the end and so forth. But they themselves can be living an ever more, in a sense, lively life by living the virtuous life. So I think it's, a, it's also just a, a, just a wonderful way to see our, our time on earth. Mm. Well, so then going very specifically to what we're talking about today, can you give us a bit of understanding about what the virtue of chastity is? You know, it's something that we are all called to practice, whether, you know, um, sometimes it gets this rap of, well, if you're young, if you're unmarried, yep, you need to live a chaste life, you need to be good. Um, But married, single, young, old, we all are called to live this virtue. Sure. Well, I mean, I think going on the template that we just started uh, with, you know, to see the, first of all the positive and what it's what it's protecting, and you know, all of us are sexual beings. We're 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 made with bodies, and bodies are good. If you know, if God wanted us to be angels, He would have made us angels. <laughs> and so the the passions that go along with the body, especially in a sense, the strongest passionate urge, which is towards sexual union, because. Um, because generation is such a beautiful thing. It's a way that we imitate God and in his, in his own creative love. 
Um, and so all of those things are very powerful energies within us that simply have to be guided well, right? And chastity is the virtue that guides those energies well. It's a very, in a sense, it's a lot of negatives because it is such a powerful emotions going on there, but all in the, in the service of a very big positive yes, which is to learn how to love. And we're made to love. Chastity helps us to love well. So it's, it's certainly an essential part of who we are as human beings. Um, it's essential for us to be happy as human beings, but also for us to, it's essential for holiness. Right? I mean, Jesus says, you know, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. It's, um, it's not the most important, in a sense, virtue. It's not the most important sin, lust. Um, you know, that would be pride and humility, I think would be the most, you know, important, or charity in sure. a different sense, you know, obviously. Um, but it's, it's classically said to be the most dangerous, because it's the one that is so easy for, for so many people to fall into uh, serious sins. And so in that sense, while it isn't the most important, it is one that we have to all take very special attention towards to live the kind of human life as well as a supernatural life we're intended to. You know, it also strikes me, too, as we're talking here about this, you, you say, you know, it's not one of the most important sins, but there's other sins that where in comparison, you know, lust is one of those that seems to have such shame mm. and kind of this stigma attached to it. Now, if I eat too much, if I engage in the sin of gluttony, People don't ostracize me the same way that they likely would for sexual sins. And I can even watch on television and see commercials for Weight Watchers and Nutrisystems and other weight loss programs out there, other options for eating healthy, shedding those pounds. Nobody thinks any less of you for wanting to get healthy, for you know eating less, for exercising more. It's not embarrassing to talk about that with others, talk about losing weight. But if we're struggling with sexual sin, Nobody wants to address that. It seems to be talked about in hushed tones. You know, I mean, mm. we see those uh, different television sitcoms that uh, portray the numerous times these awkward moments where parents are trying to have the talk with their adolescent <laughs> children. Right. And so, you know, why is there this shame or this embarrassment that's associated with trying to be healthy when it comes to our human sexuality? You know, again, with the, the, the healthy food and diet, no big deal. We can talk about it openly, but, you know, healthy when it comes to proper human sexuality, well, then it's embarrassment and it's hushed conversations. You know, I think I find it a really interesting question and topic. And, you know, to go even further, there are some sins which everyone sort of prides themselves on, uh, they're almost sources of pride. You know, we'll take pride itself. People say, like, well, I'm a, I'm a very prideful person, or I'm a very passionate person, or, you know, I'm a perfectionist. There's almost like sins that we... Right, or I, I, we I almost, kind of swindled, you know, the, the, the other uh, competitor yeah. out of, you know, I got the better deal on this, or things exactly. like that. Sure, no, I, I know exactly what you mean. And I, I think part of it, um, part of it has to do with the part of it has to do with the nature of just how deep seated this is. I mean, it, it it really goes back almost to uh, the very beginning. You know, with the with the fall of Adam and Eve, and suddenly they were ashamed, and they were they'd covered their bodies, and God sees that. You know, I mean, the, all of that tale, which is all of that, that story, which is told in poetic words, but telling very deep human truths. Um, and real truths about about how we were made and the sin and the fall. There there was a, a, a component in which they became aware of their sexuality in a way that caused them to hide themselves, 
which in some ways is now needed. You know, the, the, the idea of modesty is to protect that that intimate center, right? And it's um, it's 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 an it's order to chastity because you know just by looking at someone uh, who is unclothed is something that can actually cause us to have it, which is different than looking at food, perhaps you know, or something like that, or looking at something that causes you pride or whatever. So there's something that there does need to be in this fallen world covering of the human body, and that's kind of part of modesty. Um, and so there's a hiddenness already in protecting that which needs to be protected. And I think that by violating that, there is a shame, in some sense a healthy shame, that comes along with the sin, uh, sins against uh, chastity, sins of lust. Um, it can obviously become easily disordered and twisted and you know, and exaggerated and things like that. Um, but I think that's at least part of it. So I think that's, the, and I think that the, the ubiquity of this, I mean, it's just the fact that it's all, it's, it's surrounding us all the time. We live in a time of tremendous agitation about, uh, I was at a, I was visiting my brother over the weekend and we saw a Michelangelo exhibit and it's basically the Sistine Chapel up close. And you see everybody, and, you know, my, my two nieces were there and like, wow, that's a lot of naked bodies. <laughs> you right, know? Right. I mean, in some ways we, we do live at a time where we're perhaps ironically on the one hand, we're more, um, sort of closed and puritanical in one sense of the human body and the other sense we can we've lost some of that freedom that maybe was healthier in a different age so i think part of it is just the confusion that we have about sexuality and about the sexual sins and and this kind of ideological environment in which the, any any conversation about chastity is automatically thrust after the uh, sexual revolution or during the sexual revolution. Well, yeah, and and maybe we can get into that more here in a little bit because while we're talking about this, you mentioned a puritanical kind of mindset that has been historically, especially an American attitude towards human sexuality. So we don't want to talk about anything that's repressive or oppressive in the way that we are looking at how we are supposed to live out our lives. But at the same time, it seems that pendulum has really swung with the sexual revolution to just kind of this opposite extreme that we're in right now. Um, but uh, we, need, we need to take a short time out here, Father. Our spiritual director, Father Carter Griffin, a priest in the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C., we're talking about how we can live out that virtue of chastity. And what have you done in your life to help you be chaste in your relationships? How have you been able to live out that virtue of chastity, especially in a culture that says that, you know, casual hookups and pornography, they should be normal, they should be acceptable. How are you able to live out that virtue of chastity? You can call and share how you've been able to experience that in your own life. 888-914-9149. That's our studio line here, 888-914-9149. Our email address is innerlifeatrelevantradio.com. And the, continu- uh, the conversation continues right after this here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester. If you're looking for a little help on your journey of faith, our priests are here for you. Call now. 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. Or email us, innerlifeatrelevantradio.com. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. 
Hi, welcome back. I'm Josh Raymond, along with our spiritual director, Father Carter Griffin, a priest in the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. And uh, Father Griffin, right before the break as we were talking here, um, we were discussing kind of that, that sexual revolution, the pivot that we saw there in the mid to late 60s. And as we're talking about the virtue of chastity t- today, um, you know, that it seems almost anything and everything is permissible. And I was thinking about the act of contrition that we pray in the sacrament of confession. And in that prayer, we state, we firmly resolve with the help of God's grace to, to sin no more and to avoid the near occasions of sin. Those near occasions of sin for lust, for sexual sins, in our culture, they really seem to be more prevalent than ever in the history of humanity. And not just with the access to, you know, the, the images that we can see on computers, smartphones, mobile devices. We live in that culture where everything is being pushed as normal and healthy, even if it's not. And so it seems to me that, you know, yes, we want to avoid those near occasions of sin, but we also want to surround our things, ourselves with things that help us to stay strong, to walk on that right path. And one of the passages that comes to my mind is from St. Paul, where he writes to the Philippians in the fourth chapter of his letter. Uh, he says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And so not just to avoid, but to fill up that avoidance, you know, space that's remaining over with the good and the true and the beautiful. Yeah, it's, um, it's true. You know, it's not, it's not that the, the virtue is there to protect something more, and that more has to be a part of our life. And it's that the capacity to love, we don't just, it's not an abstraction. You know, we just sort of fall in love with the idea of loving, I think, as St. Augustine said, you know, earlier before his conversion. Uh, but but to actually to love, right? And to know what it is that we love, first of all, God, uh, then cl- those closest to us, our family, you know, I mean, if our, these uh, people in our lives, it, it, these are the things that that really should be the orientation of our lives, where we are directed towards towards those things. Having beauty itself in our life, uh, beautiful things and beautiful literature and beautiful um, images and so forth. So that's all kind of, on, in a sense, the positive sense, and you know, building that relationship above all with God and, and then with others. Uh, and the means to get there, as you mentioned, um, it's really avoiding anything which prevents that from, from happening, that stuff that, that fills us with kind of the spiritual junk food that doesn't enable us really to receive the nourishment that we're called to, or even spiritual poison. Um, you mentioned the the Internet and computer. I mean, I, I work a lot with, with, with men uh, in my particular priestly work and you know for a lot, men are very visual beings and so a lot of it is in these in the computers and the devices and learning how to when to turn it off having accountability software you know giving someone else the password whatever uh keeping it outside your bedroom i mean there are all kinds of things that can be done you know to 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 make sure that we're not just sort of bringing in things that are that's going to cause either the sin itself or certainly cause us to to incline towards the sin um, you know, social media has all kinds of you know ways to do that. I know with with a lot of uh, you know games are also another thing. By the way, you know a lot of I mean just video games now are just filled with all kinds of sensual images. It's it's so crazy how many different roads this these things have. Uh, for women, oftentimes it tends to be more um, a narrative. You know, often like you know, with novels and graphic. Oh yeah, novels there, there's like bookstores no. filled with all kinds of romance novels out there. Yeah, yeah, romance novels and and of course both men and women. A lot of the the these uh, near occasions can be with relationships and boundaries, um, 
making sure that we are guarding our heart. You know, I've sometimes thought of chastity as like the rib cage. You know, we have the heart there, which is obviously pounding away every day and keeping the blood going through our bodies, but it needs that really strong, you know, protective, you know, guardian around it of the, of the ribs. And I think that's kind of what chastity is. We have to make sure that in order to keep the heart soft and in order to keep us living, we're going to have to have some, some rules, some, some hard edges, you know, and if, 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 you know, if the married man is going into the office and the young lady at work is starting to attract, he, he probably shouldn't be walking by her desk 30 times a day. You know? um, I mean, there's just these things we need to put in our life or we realize that a friend is somebody who's not having a good influence on us. Well, I need to spend less time with them. We might even need to cut off that friendship. You know, I mean, it's, we're willing to cut off our hand, as Jesus says. And, um, you know, so we have to make some hard decisions sometimes. But I, I think above all, the image that I would say is cleanse the environment. You know, we don't want to live in a filthy room, you know, filled with dirt everywhere and grime and grease and oil. All right, you want to clean that out so you live in this healthy space. Well, that's exactly what we need to do spiritually, to find what's in our environment that's causing the pollution and, and learn, learn where it's coming from and cut that off and then cleanse the environment so that we can live in, in that kind of joy and that kind of cleanliness. Well, you know, another thing that I always remember hearing as uh, growing up, I, I always loved the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Not St. Joseph, the adoptive father of Jesus, but Joseph, who was one of the sons of Jacob, who later was named Israel. And with Joseph, he is sold into slavery. And he's there in Potiphar's house, and when Potiphar's wife ends up trying to come on to Joseph, one of the things that is very obvious there, and like I say, I remember hearing this, learning about this as a kid, he had already made up his mind. He was already of the mindset that I'm not going to do this. And that kind of resolve ahead of time is also very important, not to just wait and say, well, I'll see what happens, but have that mindset, that resolve, um, you know, what we might call fortitude as one of uh, another virtue there, um, that that that's something that we've made up our minds ahead of time. We we, we just, we know what we're about. We know who we are, you know, so, I mean, we go to, if, if I'm meeting somebody, a young lady, and I'm meeting that person for the first time, if I feel that I am available or unavailable in my heart, it totally changes the way I interact with her. You know, if I know that I'm married or I'm, I'm a celibate priest or whatever, what have you, or even just I have a girlfriend, you know, I know that how I approach that, I'm not, in other words, I'm taken. I'm not available. That's going to change the entire conversation. And not, I don't mean in any way to make it cold or frigid or whatever. It's just a different conversation than if you're kind of open to having, you know, uh, a, 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 an inappropriate relationship with that, with that woman. And so the way that, I, that, that a man approaches that, a lot of it is going to be determined by how the kind of the attitudes and the dispositions that he brings to that conversation. And obviously the same for her. And so that's where you get these business trips, you know, where, where un, un, or, or just whatever it might be, the occasions where men and women who are already married or engaged or whatever, and they run into trouble is because both of them have gone there perhaps with that understanding that they, although they are taken, they're not approaching those relationships as if they were. Right. Well, you know, and regardless of what you think of, you know, politics, Mike Pence, uh, former vice yep. president, he came under yep. a lot of grief from the media because he would refuse to have any meetings with another woman, just the two of them by themselves. He always wanted that third person there. Here at Relevant Radio, a number of years ago, um, we had when Father Rocky, who's our executive director, when he first started, he said, 
we're putting windows in all the doors <laughs> because mm-hmm. that way it just keeps everything above board. And, yep. uh, you know, it's one of those things that just safeguards everybody in their interactions. Those things, you know, just refusing to go in a meeting alone with a person of the opposite sex, of just keeping everything out in the open, um, you know, in any sort of meetings that you're having, it really does make a big difference in the way that we, uh, you know, that, that we can... Uh, I guess not only in the way we can conduct ourselves, but it gives us just a little more, um, you know, we can relax and say, good, I don't yeah. have to be on guard so much. Yeah, that, I think that's right. And I think the equivalent on computers you know, is the accountability software, where you just can sort of let someone, your accountability partner, see what you've, see where you, what websites you're going to. I have nothing to hide here. Yeah. Well, uh, Father, um, again, if you're listening to us, our spiritual director is Father Carter Griffin, and we're talking about living out that virtue of chastity. How do you do that in your life? What's helped you to be chaste? Uh, whether you're married, whether you're single, doesn't matter, age, how have you been able to live out that virtue of chastity in the midst of a culture that does say that casual sex, that pornography, they should be normal, they should be acceptable? How have you been able to maintain those pure thoughts in your life? Our studio line here is 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And uh, Father, let's go to Sister Elizabeth. She's listening in Los Angeles. And hi, Sister. Welcome to the air here on The Inner Life. Hello. Um, You know, I just wanted to mention on this topic, as a consecrated religious, um, I may not be on the TV. You know, I don't watch a lot of TV. I'm not on the computer a lot on different, um, to get involved in that. But it's important for me, modesty of the eyes. Because when I go into people's homes in my ministry, um, I could be looking around pictures and maybe I might see a handsome man in a picture, <laughs> you know, and go, wow, because <laughs> I'm human, you know, just because I'm a religious doesn't mean I'm blind. So I think that, yeah, for me, modesty of the eyes was very important. That's tremendous. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Sister. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think one of the, and I think we're going to be getting maybe into some of the kind of the practical means of growing and, and, and sustaining chastity. But to be sure, one of them, you know, the windows into the soul, right? The eyes and when what we take in mm-hmm. uh, does impact us. And, and, and there's also a way of sort of seeing without seeing, you know, where you can, <laughs> where you can have a conversation with somebody and not, you know, not allow the eyes to wander and so forth. What we take in is important. And by the way, there's custody of the eyes, and there's also custody of the heart. You know, there's the same sort of thing. Like, what's the disposition with which I approach this conversation or this relationship or what have you? Um, so being guarded about that and not being too, um, you know, f- um, not being too fastidious, perhaps. But on the other hand, not being too trustful of ourselves. I think there's a great deal of sense of, well, just kind of mm-hmm. go with your gut or trust it. And often that's good advice. But when it comes to these things, sometimes we need to have a little bit less trust and say, like, I'm not sure. <laughs> I can kind of fool myself sometimes, you know, and I need to make sure that I'm guarding what I'm taking in. I think it's a great insight. Thank you, Sister. Yeah, uh, thank you so much for calling in, Sister Elizabeth. And, uh, you know, Father, kind of picking up on what she said there, too, you mentioned you know, we're willing to cut off our right hand rather than sin. And that goes back to uh, one of the opening parts of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount there in St. Matthew's Gospel, where he talks about, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but 
I say to you, anyone who lusts after a woman, uh, you know, sees her and lusts after her, has already committed adultery in his heart. And then, then he goes on to that. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Um, better for you to uh, enter into eternity maimed or wounded rather than go into Gehenna or hell um, with, uh, you know, your body as whole. And so let's talk about that. You know, when there is that time that you look, and as Sister Elizabeth said, you know, we're human, and there are beautiful people out there. I mean, you know, that's what Hollywood is kind of built upon is, you know, the the beautiful, good-looking people. And there's nothing wrong with acknowledging that, but how do we balance where we have that maybe fleeting thought versus dwelling on that? Yeah. Well, we talked earlier about kind of the rules and regulations, and, and sometimes those are seen as purely oppressive. Um, there's, ironically, and oftentimes they are there in order to give us clarity about things that are not sinful as well. Um, and one of the reasons why the Church has been very clear about things that are opposed to the to the virtue of chastity um, is because these are the things that we need to kind of keep an eye on and make sure that we're not doing or not doing things that lead us to that. Um, and so, those, and, and there are things that, that that the church says are wrong that a lot of people think today are not. You know, um, obviously fornic- fornication, extramarital sex, you know, masturbation, homosexual behavior, pornography. These different things are are very serious, and the church says says as such. But partly the reason for her saying that, and and other types of um, you know infractions. But part of the reason is to say like, but there are a lot of things which aren't. You know, and and for example, having a temptation towards one of these things or to look impurely at somebody. The temptation itself isn't sinful, unless we've done something to kind of cause it, you know, in which case that's the, that's the sin. Right. But, but ordinarily, it's, it's just a temptation. And, you know, you just fight off, you know, just say, like, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give in to that temptation. I have, the, I have the ability not to give in to that temptation. Or maybe it's just a first thought that comes to our mind, you know, when we're kind of there bored, you know, or something like that. Or, or you just notice that a girl is pretty, or that a, a guy is handsome, or whatever. Like, that's, those things are not sinful. And I think it's important to avoid the kind of scrupulosity, which can almost sometimes be a little bit prideful, you know, where we sort of imagine we're supposed to be this kind of angelic being and not ever supposed to have a thought like that. And so when the thought first comes, we, we deal with it as Christians and rationally, and we deal with it confidently and optimistically, and we move on, you know, and, and, that's, and there's no sin involved. It's when we start to indulge it, and then it goes further and further, and then it becomes a fantasy and so forth, and then it can lead to action as well. These are the things which we need to bring to confession and find healing and forgiveness for. Mm. Our spiritual director, Father Carter Griffin, and Father, let's go back to the phones. We've got Ed, who's listening in Stolton, Wisconsin. Hi, Ed. How have you been able to live out that virtue Hello. of chastity in your life? Yes. Um, well, I, I kind of deal with it. Um, I always carry a rosary in, in my pocket, and I, I, I didn't when I was younger, but I, I do now. And um, if I'm going to, you know, if I all of a sudden find myself, you know, having impure thoughts or um, you know, whatever, something not being chased. Um, I'll, you know, I reach in my pocket and I can either, you know, say a Hail Mary or whatever, or just, just grabbing a hold of the rosary, um, seems to, um, chase, um, Satan away. And I, I've kind of made it a habit if, if I go to, um, a, uh, graduation with somebody that I know is Catholic or a confirmation or something, I, I give them a, a nice rosary, uh, especially a guy, I'll tell them, I says, 
you know, if you carry in this, this rosary in your pocket, nobody has to know that you have it. And when, you know, something, something looks like it's going to go astray a little bit, just reach in your pocket and, um, you, you use your rosary. Uh, you don't have to make a big deal of it, um, just for yourself. Yeah, I, I, one of the things that I certainly talk to the seminarians a lot about is that uh, one of the primary supernatural allies that we, one of the primary allies we have in this fight uh, for chastity is Our Lady. Right? She has, she has power anyway, you know, in all kinds of areas of our life, and, and we call upon her for intercession everywhere. But there's something about holy purity, especially that she has a profound love for it, you know, in her own life uh, and in the life of of us, her children. Um, and so she, her, her, she is fierce in, in attacking <laughs> those evil, evil spirits, and that that would that would want differently. Um, and so to go to her, praying her rosary, just asking for her intercession, asking for her help, is enormously helpful. And I would also add to that, by the way, Saint Joseph, you know, and especially this year of Saint Joseph, but just in general, you know, he's sometimes called the terror of demons, you know, and to call upon these saints, um, obviously calling upon our Lord Himself. Uh, for for assistance, I mean, you can't beat it. It's, it's one of the important parts. It's it's one of the most important ways that we grow in chastity. Yeah, Ed, thanks for calling in and sharing that uh, with all of us, and and how you live that out in your life and encourage others. And as you're listening today, what have you done in your life to help you live that virtue of chastity? How have you been able to live that out in the midst of a culture? that says so many things are okay. Even as a Catholic, you might say, I, I don't think that's okay. Well, you can call in and share uh, or ask any question about being that chaste individual. Our studio line is 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Our email address, innerlifeatrelevantradio.com. More to come right after this here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Call in now to share your story with our Inner Life spiritual directors. 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome back. I'm Josh Raymond, along with our spiritual director, Father Carter Griffin, a priest in the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. And today we're talking about living out the virtue of chastity. And that's something we're all called to live out. And uh, also taking your phone calls here in our studio at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And Father, just uh, shortly before we go back to the phones here, uh, as we're talking about living out the virtue of chastity, you know, we had Ed who mentioned uh, praying the rosary, turning to that as a way to kind of reset his mind and his thoughts so that, you know, if he finds himself veering off into, you know, some impure thought, he can just write himself that way. You mentioned praying to St. Joseph. Um, what are some other practical steps that somebody might take, especially if somebody is listening right now and they're saying, you know, I want to be good, I want to be pure, but I really am struggling, and those temptations, they come on, and I find myself falling again and again. Uh, What are some good uh, first one or two steps that that person might be able to take to make some good strides in living out the virtue of chastity? 
Yeah, and you're right. There are just so many people out there who want to do the right thing but just don't know how to do it and, seem, and feel, feel like they've tried everything already. I mean, a lot of it is just kind of an attitude, like just not giving up, right? I mean, who, who wins you know, the boxing match? It's the guy who's just still standing, right? We just have to keep getting up and stay in the ring um, and not give up. Discouragement, I think, is, is one of the great ways that we, we lose this and any virtue, really. Uh, so just staying in it. Um, I would say that you want to look at two things, like natural and supernatural, right? So the, and it's, a, it's a multi-pronged sort of attack or, or war, or, you know, theater war, whatever you want to, image you want to use, right? Naturally, what? I mean, you want to look at uh, aspects of your life. Am I, you know, am I living an ordered life in general, right? Am I getting enough time to sleep and good diet and exercise? And, you know, exercise is big, you know, having enough, you know, working hard. I mean, all these things are kind of part of an ordered life. Do I have good friendships? Um, do I have enough beauty in my life? You know, things like that. Do I have someone that I can talk to about my struggles? These are different ways that just at a human level, we can, we can grow sometimes very quickly, sometimes dramatically uh, in the area of, of chastity. But then also supernatural. Like, you know, we mentioned Our Lady already, but, but even before Our Lady, you know, comes the Eucharist, right? And, and am, I, am I receiving the Eucharist regularly? Um, and if I need to, do I go to confession before receiving the Eucharist? And am I going to confession anyway? Uh, am I praying? Do I, do I bring Scripture into my life? Uh, you know, sometimes just a word from Scripture has a power over evil uh, in our lives. Um, so these are some of, the, some of the very practical things, some kind of self-discipline or mortification, asceticism, you know, denying ourselves small, tiny things at, at each meal. You know, I mean, it doesn't take much. Uh, you don't have to, you know, go, you don't have to throw yourself around in the thorns or in the snow like Benedict or Francis. You just sometimes have to like, give, give up that little bit of salt or whatever. But something saying no to ourselves to not live a completely indulgent life. Um, all of these things and, and any of these things can just move us down that road and help us to stay in that ring uh, and, and to the end. You know, I think that's really right. what we need to, the focus we need to have. Well, and, you know, when you're talking about, you know, those little mortifications, especially with fasting, you know, I mean, that right there is just saying, I will exercise discipline over my life in one area. And if you can exercise that discipline in one area, it should also give you encouragement and hope that you can exercise it in other areas. Um, another, another thing that came to mind, too, was I've heard this in regards to different people who have been in different 12-step programs dealing with different addictions, uh, the acronym HALT, that mm. if you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, those four words that, you know, the first letters spell out HALT, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, if you're one of those, then it might make you more likely to give in to whatever that that addiction is, you know, so if it's alcohol, if it's gambling, if it's, you know, some other substance, or if it's, you know, pornography or some sort of sexual sin. Now, if two of those, if you're hungry and you're tired, then you've got an even stronger chance. If three of those are at, at work for you right now, it's really, you're, you're on dangerous ground. So yeah, like you said, living, making sure I'm getting enough sleep, making sure that I, I'm getting, you know, a, a balance in work and rest and, you know, those things, they can go such a long way in just helping to live, as you said, Father, that ordered life. Yeah, you know, one very, very small, very small thing that I've recommended to a lot of people, it's a very traditional thing, 
and it's helped a tremendous number of people. It's simply making a morning offering. In the morning, you get up and you get on your knees and you offer the day to the Lord, and you end the day with you know the classical three Hail Marys, entrusting yourself to Our Lady, and especially in the area of holy purity. Mm-hmm. Those, I mean, it takes a total of what forty-five seconds sure. of your day to do those two things, and it can change a life. Mm, that, that's great, Father. Let's go back to the phones. We've got Mary who's listening to us in California. Hi, Mary. You're on the air with Father Griffin. Hi. I wanted to ask about chastity for married couples. And usually the conversation is about, you know, avoiding infidelity or pornography or something like that. But how do you counsel when you have a situation where a person is actually lusting after their spouse to the point of being abusive so that they are demanding things like, for instance, after a spouse has had surgery or after a wife had a baby. And um, I just wanted to comment that Catholic culture seems to focus on the obligation of spouses to the marital debt, but doesn't focus on sacrificing for the good of spouses. So how do you counsel when the situation is like lusting so much that you're abusing, that a spouse is being abused? How do you help with that situation? Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Mary, for for the great question and important question and difficult question. And it's something that is out there and it, it um, and, and it's a tremendous trial for a lot of people. And like you point out, it's just so important that we keep a balance in our own teaching of this so that it doesn't sound like, you know, we're just sort of saying marital chastity means everyone being available all the time, anytime. And that's simply not, not the case. Right? I mean, if fundamentally, chastity is about protecting the capacity to love. Um, it's not about protecting the capacity to have sexual relations, right? And love is something that married couples show in all kinds of ways. And when somebody has has, has reduced it to simply physical uh, affection, then uh, then there needs to be correction. There needs to be a you know a kind of a conversion. There needs to be, and sometimes it's going to mean having a period of fasting from sexual relations, precisely to focus, kind of get back down to basics and get back down to what is most meaningful in that relationship. And what's most meaningful is first of all the relationship with the Lord, and then with each other. And if the physical intimacy is not ordered to that, and it's not helping that then something has gone wrong, and, and there has to be kind of a check and a, and a sort of a, a pause, it seems to me. Obviously, couples are different, and what's going on is different, um, but it's true that the Church gives a great deal of latitude, in a sense, in, in terms of how married couples exercise chastity. I mean, chastity is fundamentally one of showing mutual respect, and abuse is the opposite of, of, of respect. Um, and so in that sense, it is a deeply unchaste way to live uh, the, sex, the, the intimacy in that, couple, uh, in that couple's relationship. Uh, if, it's, if it's led to abuse or violence and all kinds of other ways that, that, these, that these passions can be exercised in a way that are unchaste, even if it's not one of the specific sins, uh, then it is unchaste anyway. And it, it's uncharitable as well and, and unjust. So it, it's, um, it's a very difficult and very delicate thing. Um, but I think this is where kind of good conversation, you know, to be able to talk it out, and if necessary, hopefully maybe with another person that you both trust, and to try to sort of uncover what's going on here and to realize that lust can, can, can afflict, as Jesus himself said, right? You can have adultery in the heart. There can be lust in the heart, even between two married people. Um, John Paul II got into sort of trouble, if you will, by saying that, you know, people who are married can have... Um, can have lustful, sinfully lustful thoughts about the other, about, about the other person, and you know a lot of people took him to task for that, saying this is just another example of the church becoming kind of more and more sort of suspicious of the body and you know um, and, and of sex. And it was the opposite. He was precisely saying something that was was trying to protect married couples and to keep the sexual act being something ordered to their to their mutual love. 
Mary, does that help uh, give a little more perspective there? It does, and uh, I I really appreciate being able to, um, you know, ask that question and um, maybe get that conversation going with the church because it's something that, again, it doesn't, um, it seems like there's hushed tones around how to help a Catholic married couple who is dealing with a situation that isn't just, um, you know, needs some help, but is actually being abusive and, and needs intervention. So I, right. I really appreciate Father's answer. Thank you. Yeah, well, thanks for calling in, Mary, because I'm sure you uh, represent so many other people out there that are listening. And again, Father, you know, there there has to be kind of this healthy balance. I mean, if if you are married, <laughs> then you should be finding your spouse remarkably attractive. I mean, there should be that attraction there. But uh, if if somebody enters into marriage with the idea, well, I am dealing with some sort of sexual addiction, or I don't have this kind of proper mindset when it comes to the relationship of sexuality in a marriage, uh, just getting married is not going to fix that. There's there's a deeper underlying issue there. Gosh, I, I, I wish everyone... <laughs> It could hear that because it's so true. You know, I think there are people who think that that marriage is there to fix uh, the kind of the lack of chastity, you know, in a young in a young person's life. And it's I, I'll often tell young men, I'll say the very best gift you can give your future wife, um, maybe after your relationship with our Lord, <laughs> is chastity. Right, being being able to be chaste now, not after you're married, but now, because with that chastity, with that self dominion, that that healthy self mastery you know, that the catechism calls chastity. It means that you're actually able to love her and give yourself to her better, not worse, more, not less. Right? And so having that sense that I'm able to, to be available to my wife, to my, my husband, because I have chastity is one of the strongest aspects of a, of a marriage. And if that's not there, then there needs to be some remedial work, and somebody has to grow in chastity later. And it might be a little bit, and it will be harder. Um, so the the younger that people younger people can be when they start to grow in this virtue, the better and the better and the happier that they will be as human beings and as married people or priests or religious or whatever. Well, and maybe that's a good note to end on. You talk about being happier because of living out that chastity, and that's something that uh, you know it might seem again living in a world where we. <laughs> We see, you know, the church is telling us not to do anything, not to have any fun. It's quite the opposite. Being able to live out that virtue of chastity, it will actually not just make us happier, but bring true joy. You know, I think one of the great sources of misery in the world today are are sexual sins, you know, and just the and the way that it's being encouraged. This is what it means to be a real man, a real woman. This is where it's being on the Internet, movies, games. And what they don't realize is that it's just a deeper and deeper hole of, of sadness, you know, and chastity is, is the way out of that hole. Chastity is a way to live a life that is truly fully alive and, uh, and, and, and capable of loving, which is what makes us happy. And chastity is how to love in a way that is, that is truly Christian and truly virtuous. Father, Father Carter Griffin is our spiritual director today here on The Inner Life. And Father, we're down to just about our last minute here. Could I ask you to offer a final blessing for all of our listeners today as we wrap up the hour? Certainly, Josh. I'd ask for the blessing of Almighty God uh, through the intercession of all the saints and angels, especially Our Lady, Mother of Pure Love, uh, also of St. Joseph, the Terror of Demons. You know, that, that all of your listeners and their families and their loved ones may be enveloped in the grace of God, enabling them to truly live lives of chastity and of true love uh, and finding the joy that God has willed for each one of us. And may the blessing of Almighty God descend upon you all 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Griffin, for being here today on The Inner Life. And if you're listening and missed any part of the earlier conversation that we had with Father Griffin, you can, of course, always go back and listen to the podcast at RelevantRadio.com or on the Relevant Radio app. Tomorrow, we're going to be talking about how we can live like Jesus, having that attitude of a servant. Father Jeremy Pluth, he'll be our uh, spiritual director. Of course, we have Mass that's coming up here in just about 30 seconds. So I hope you stay tuned for that with Father Dan Schuster as our celebrant today. And we will see you back here tomorrow on The Inner Life. It's so very encouraging to hear from our listeners who benefit from our program. I want to invite you to join the St. Joseph Recurring Gift Society. Your ongoing monthly gift is a gift that keeps on giving. Learn more at RelevantRadio.com slash Joseph.